0: I want us to be playing in Premier League stadiums. I want us to be filling Premier League stadiums. I want us to have games at Wembley. I want us to go to a World Cup or a major tournament. And I want us to tell the world that we want to win.
1: Hey, how are you? And welcome back to Outside the Box. Now this is a brand new podcast all about women in sports. I'm Becky Ives and here's the deal. For the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so, we're going to hang out with today's guest. We're going to share stories, offer help and advice to anyone thinking of wanting to get into working in sports. And well, here's a clue to today's guest. Get into coaching, perhaps. We're going to play a few games and just, yeah, have a bit of a laugh. Now ultimately, this is all about getting more women working in sports. Now, cast your mind back to episode one. I did say that we'd be talking to mainly women, but not exclusively. And that's because today's guest is someone who, for me, when I think of women in sport and more specifically around football and the women's game, there is one name that has shone a massive light on it. Like really helped just raise the profile over the past few years. So I thought it'd be awesome to hear his thoughts on women working in sports. So by the powers that be that are Zoom and the Mm -hmm. internet from a very safe social distance, (laughs) Phil Neville has joined us. Yes. Afternoon. How are we? I'm good, how are you more to the point?
0: Unbelievable. Uh, obviously, it just, it's been a long three or four months, a worrying three or four months, but we're just starting to see a little bit of normality and uh, and football's back and, uh, and hopefully back soon on the pitch with the Lionesses.
1: Oh my God, it's it's been a long time coming as this, hasn't it? I don't think anyone can quite believe the situation that we are in right now. Um, mm. But yeah, look, I am so happy that you came on today. Thank you for taking the time. Um, I wanted to talk to you. I figured there was no one better to get an insight into working with women in sport than yourself. Head coach of the England national team. I just want to take it back, though, um, to how this job came about for you. So if you cast your mind back to 2018, in actual fact, let's take it further back. You've just finished playing the game yourself. Yeah. Amazing career, 10 years at United, eight years at Everton. Um, At what point did you think, I want to go into management? Was it something you always wanted to do?
0: Yeah, at the age of twenty-four, I started to do my coaching badges, and the minute that I started to do the sessions that you have got to complete for your badges, I, I got the bug for it. I was obsessed with it. Uh, I enjoyed it. You know, some people do the coaching badges and just do it as a tick box just to get that license at the end of it, but I loved everything about it. You know, the detail, the the sessions, and the planning, the preparing, the studying, uh, and it really helped me in my career from the age of twenty-four. So I, I became a student of the game, I, I started to ask a lot of questions of my coaches and my managers and the people in and around the club. And and almost maybe the last three or four years of my career when I was at Everton, it was a, it was almost like a, a transition from playing into to to coaching or managing. And uh, you know, I, I finished my career at the end of one season, and literally three or four days later, I was on a I was on a plane to uh, to to be with the under twenty ones in the in the European Championships as a coach with Stuart Pearce. And then I came back from there and I was literally uh, named first team coach at Manchester United with David Moyes. So people mm-hmm. said I was inexperienced, but I actually felt that I prepared for that moment. And I think that is probably the biggest probably advice I would give to female um, and male coaches now is that the preparation to go into becoming a coach is the same preparation that you would do to study to be Anything in life, a surgeon, a lawyer, or even to, you know, the work that you have to do to become a professional sportsman, it just doesn't happen overnight. You've got to put in years of work. And I felt as if I'd I'd put in a lot of work to get to that uh, moment where I got my first job.
1: And that's the point, isn't it? A lot of people don't see that work, that you actually almost, probably then for the last three or four years of your career, ran parallel careers because you obviously still were training full-time, still having that schedule, but at the same Mm. time then having to find time to do all the coaching stuff.
0: Yeah, well, it was it was obviously my my career was my my priority. My career as a footballer, and you can't can't deviate from that. The minute you take your eye off the ball, you you will get left behind by others that want to take your position. So, I think where what I did, I did little things like I I recorded every single session. I watched every single press conference that the top managers would do before and after games and in different situations. I would read read a lot of quotes and books and speak to a lot of people, coaches in and around football about their experiences. And and I was just building almost an encyclopedia about how I wanted to work as a manager. And, And I think So a coach said to me, uh, probably when I was about 32, what's your philosophy? If you went into a job now, what's your philosophy? And and I felt as if at the time I thought, well, I know what my philosophy is, but I didn't actually write anything down in terms of a document. Uh, So I then went the next two or three years. It took me two or three years to formulate a document thought process to actually what I wanted my style to be. And there are I think the, the people say when you go on these courses, there are six different leadership styles that you th- th- that you can be, and and you know I had to find my own uh, leadership style, and then I had to find a style of which I wanted my team to play, uh, my club to be like, and and that took time to develop and put down into paper and into writing, and and that was a really sort of like exciting thing where I spent a lot of time doing it, and still to this day. I'm changing and 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 readjusting and and it's a continual process all the time because trends continue to move forward and, and things come in and out of fashion.
1: Well, you played under two of like well, Sir Alex Ferguson, the mm. greatest manager in Premier League history, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and David Moyes as well. Incredible uh, career he has as a manager. How much did they influence your style? Because you said about finding your style, writing mm. your philosophy, know what it was. But what type of manager are you?
0: Well, you think about Ferguson and Moy you think about the top five Premier League managers uh, I think maybe you've got Ferguson you've got Wenger then you've got Moyes Redneck I've you, you've, you've played for two of the top three or four in, in, in the Premier League history so I think they had a massive influence on my style and Sir Alex Sir Alex obviously had a massive influence from the age of 10 to the age of 28 he was my father figure he was the first point of, of contact and he had the biggest influence but then I think, I think what was good for me in my career, I then went to Everton and learnt over, a, I learnt with a different manager who was slightly different in the way that he worked, in the way that he coached, the way that he managed and I think that helped shape my thinking that probably not all one way is, is the best and you've got to sort of like find your own niche and I think, I think in terms of style uh, or in terms of what type of manager I am, I think I think I've took the best bits from all the manager uh, managers I've I've played for, and sometimes you learn from the managers that didn't really impress you or that didn't really sort of like inspire you to actually how you want to be. So uh, I would say I'm hopefully across of uh, you know a, a little bit of a, a mixture of everyone plus the play plus the people that I've studied, you know, Bielsa mm. and Pochettino, are, are people that you know I've loved I've loved watching develop. I, I remember hearing about Pochettino when I was at Espanyol and Bielsa when he was the Chile manager I remember watching them play thinking wow how intense and then I followed followed him then when he went to Bilbao and looking at the way that he trained his players and the intensity of his work and the detail in which he went into so, so I just formulated my own so I could actually when I wrote my philosophy and people see me they see it as mine and not just oh he's copying Sir Alex he's copying David Moyes or whatever I wanted to be authentic and I think I think in my first management job now, the one thing I would say is that I, I want to be Philip Neville, I want to be authentic, and I want to live and die by my rules and my philosophy rather than people thinking he's a mini-me of someone else, you know?
1: Yeah, no, individuality is so important. Yeah. So as you said, you went back then to Manchester United, first mm. team coach under David Moyes. Um, sort of within the period of the next three or four years, you then also went out to Spain yeah uh, worked out there <laughs> smile on your face there with your brother yeah. Gary at this point when you were doing this how aware were you of the women's game
0: when I was at Manchester United my son was at Manchester City as in the academy he was 11 years of age and I used to go down and watch him train and obviously the the girls Man City has probably one of the uh best uh, you know uh, female setups there and, and I used yeah. to see them I used to see them in and around used to see them on the next training pitch uh but ultimately, my focus was on being the first team coach at Manchester United. And, and obviously, I watched the 2015 World Cup. I watched the 2017 Euros. But ultimately, I think in our walk of life, you focus on the job that you've got, right? And then everything else is a blur, blur at the side of it. And I've got to say, I mean, at the same time, my sister was playing netball for England. And, I, and if you ask me, you know, what was she doing at that time? I would say, well, she was playing netball for England. But I really couldn't tell you what what tour she was going on, what are the results yeah. were, because I was so tunnel-visioned. Uh, and I suppose it wasn't until the 2015 World Cup probably had an effect on me, because that was the first time, probably, that in my own head, women's football became sort of like apparent visibility in, in, mm. in, in on the televisions. Obviously, the, uh, Mark Sampson was a fantastic manager for the team, and what they did in Canada, put the team on the map, really, in terms of sort of like the expectation level, and then 2017 I was in Valencia and the the girls trained at the Valencia training ground so I went I went I went round and watched them train so I I then started to probably take interest in them in terms of the big games the big tournaments but other than that the focus was on my own job really and uh, that's the way it is at elite sport
1: yeah but then the call came yeah to take over the job do you remember? that call coming? Was it a conversation? Was it a phone call? Were you asked? Like- well,
0: I I obviously knew that Matt Sampson had left. I knew that Mo Marley was in interim and I knew that there was a job there and and I've got to say, people say that I was shoehorned into the job but it, it, was, it was over a three to six month period where I, I had a really good relationship with Dan Ashworth, the technical director who's now at Brighton and we'd been speaking about because at the time I was out of uh, work in terms of football. I was working in television and he was really sort of like, uh, uh, encouraging, I said, "Look, we need you back in football. We want all our best. Uh, we not. We're, we want all our best coaches working, young coaches working, and getting jobs. And, and And we worked closely together for probably three to six months. And that, I say, worked closely together. We we swapped ideas. We, we we chatted about opportunities. And then, obviously, he, he rung me. I never forget the day. It was fifteenth of December, and I'd I'd flown. Home from Valencia because I was living in Spain at the time to do a TV program and I was staying at my mum's because when I used to come back I stayed at my mum's and he called me I was in I was in my old bedroom and he said look uh, would you be interested uh, in in applying for the job as the England women's national coach and uh, my initial reaction was it's not something I'd thought about uh, mm-hmm. and I said look c- can I think about it he obviously he went into the detail about what what was ahead etc I came off the phone. And the minute I put the phone down, I thought this, this, this is an unbelievable opportunity. Uh, and, and that night, I went out on a Christmas party with my mum and my sister, and we were talking around. And, and the whole night, all we kept talking about was this opportunity. And, and, and Tracy was probably the one that really hit it home to me in terms of she said, "Look, it's it's been a real hard slog." women's sport in general she said but you know what the last 12 months i think we're beginning to see a little bit of light there's a little bit of uh encouragement there's a little there's more opportunities we're getting a little bit more visibility i think if you came in now i think you'd be coming in at the time just before sort of like the boom i think you would be sort of like coming in at a time where actually people are more open to uh, females being on television, females being in boardrooms, females getting opportunities on TV. And she said, I think it'd be a great opportunity for you. My brother said the same. My wife said the same. And uh, I phoned Dan back and said, I'm really interested. And then I, I, I had to speak to Sue Campbell uh, just mm-hmm. to gauge interest. And, and from that moment onwards, me and Sue became became sort of like inseparable. We had the same aims, we had the same vision. And I think because she because she had this vision of where to take the the senior women's team. Because she asked me, she said, look, what's your vision? And I said, well, I want to take this women's team to a place where they've never been. And she went, well, where's that? Well, I went, well, I want I want us to be playing in Premier League stadiums. I want us to be filling Premier League stadiums. I want us to have games at Wembley. I want us to go to a World Cup and, or, a, or a major tournament. And I want us to tell the world that we want to win. Not just go and compete, not just go. And I said, I want us to push down boundaries and make opportunities for women's footballers. And she said, Well, well how are you going to do that? I said, Well, it, it, it's going to be, it's going to have to take risks. And the minute that I started to talk about taking risks and and pushing people out of the comfort zone, that's what she, that's what she wanted. That's what she loved. And we spoke about it, about climbing Everest, et cetera. And, uh, and she's, she backed me, you know, from, from the period from getting the job to the World Cup, we, we took unbelievable risks about getting Mm -hmm. our girls out there in the open, about having TV cameras following us, about going to, we, we, at my first game in England was at Southampton. And There was trepidation about, can we fill this stadium? Can we sell the tickets? Will it be empty stadium? And there was 30,000 people there. And and from that moment onwards, I just felt we were on this, this crest of a wave of actual momentum. And, And the girls, I've got to say the players, they, the minute that I walked in and started to tell them where we were going, they jumped on board and they they drove the bus. They drove the bus. Well, it's
1: probably because they they've known what's within themselves for years, but they've never had the platform to show it. And then someone like you walking in there saying, "This is what I want to do." It's almost like they've gone, "Thank you. We are so on board with this. We'll, we'll show you what we can do."
0: I think Becky. I think I think the, like people. I, I got I got real criticism for taking the job, uh, uh, saying I had no experience of women's uh, sport, no experience in management, etc. But but i I was and I spent a lot of time thinking about it is that actually the only thing my players wanted was to be treated like footballers, not women's footballers, mm. not male footballers, they just wanted to be treated like footballers and and I said in my opening press conference that that when they said you've got no experience with uh women's footballers. I said, yeah, but what the session I'm putting on for the women is the same session that I put on for Valencia and for Manchester United. I said, so actually, the disrespect is actually from that question, not from my attitude. My attitude is, I'm training elite athletes, whether that's Wayne Rooney, Rio Ferdinand, Danny Pereco in in Valencia, or Lucy Bronze, Steph Orton. I don't, I don't. Whether they're male or female, the gender doesn't There's matter. There's no difference. It's, yeah. It is just a football session, and my demands on my players with England lionesses. And no different than the, than the demands of, of hard work, uh, determination and, and all the things that you say. So, so actually, I was baffled by the criticism about that, that there was no experience in football. Yeah, I have no experience in management. But, but ultimately, my experience in football was actually a lot, you know. So, uh, so that's how I treated the girls. And, and, when, and when I said to them, that we were going to go to places and, and we were going to break boundaries down. And, and when, when I was planning things, I was planning things from a, from a point of view of, I knew what elite standard looked like from travel, from nutrition, from fitness, because on the male side at Manchester United and Everton, we'd had nothing but the best. So if, mm. if somebody on the women's side was going to come to me and say, this is what we needed to do, if it wasn't at the level that I was expecting, then I would say no. I said these are the levels that we want, and that was from the hotels we stayed in, from the training pictures we were trained on, from the stadiums we went to, and from the commercial media. It was just because because I knew nothing different. I think we had to raise the bar up to the level yeah. that was elite, and 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 that and I think that's where where we had the connection with the girls. You know,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's shown it absolutely has shown. What's it like a typical week in the yeah. life of the England? head coach what's it like
0: oh well international managers management is different than than club management you are you are based at St George's Park for Monday Tuesday Wednesday you're at games probably Tuesday Wednesday uh, night you're at games on the Saturday or the Sunday I do like to watch the Premier League games because I think you watch the best coaches you watch you watch the trends the trends from the men's game tend to follow into the women's game as well in terms of systems and tactics. Uh, but basically, what, what we do at the FA, we, we plan, we prepare, we, we communicate to clubs, we work with clubs, and, and we're always looking for the next innovative way to become better. And once you get into the season, from September, there's a camp, October's a camp, then November's a camp, it's literally camp, uh, recover, plan, prepare, and then go into the next camp. And then, you know, because you're an international manager, you've got to get out there you've got to watch the players you've got to communicate with the players you've got to watch what the other countries are doing and it's really full on
1: is your group whatsapps just off the hook like your phone must constantly ring
0: i've got i I, i've got two phones an fa phone and (laughs) and i've got to say last week i actually thought about coming off whatsapp for the first time (laughs) in my life because i thought it was just i must have had over the you know think about over the pandemic period we must have set up maybe 40 whatsapp groups I can't different, even. different departments and players have got it and commercial then media then fitness then so I actually thought last week do you know what you know I'm sick of whatsapp if somebody wants me just give me a call you know because yeah. <laughs> I think whatsapp can overtake your life it takes away that conversation that I think is really important so I think I think if I was to challenge myself over the next three to six months it would be to probably try and erase whatsapp from my life I think
1: biggest burden you've got going on (laughs) could you do that oh i'd love to sometimes i really would i could easily do it it. right phil throughout this podcast series i am getting all my guests to play some games are you down for this are you down for games yes okay fabulous now I almost feel like it's an insult to ask you if you are a competitive person because clearly across your career um, possibly within your home family setup between you Tracy and Gary it's probably been quite competitive but I feel like I have found a clip that sums up how competitive you are Live. Oh, the
0: challenge is flying in at the moment Well,
1: Rio Ferdinand is giving Phil Neville a real really hitful here. An Everton player playing against your old team, your your, your mates, and you've just wiped out Cristiano Ronaldo. I actually won the ball, Beckett.
0: You know, I won the <laughs> ball. Uh, no, and do you, know what, do you know what the funny thing is, is when is when Giggs is flying up the touchline, running and coming eyeballs to eyeballs, when probably the night after that game, we probably went out for a burger that night or something, yeah. you know. So, no, it was well, the was way we were was... up.
1: What was Rio shouting at you? What was oh, he saying? I can't say it on a, on a, <laughs>
0: on a podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but that, 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 was, that was the competitive nature of that Man United era. That 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 was, it, you know, on the training ground. People talk about where was all the all the championships won and all the medals won. It was won on the training ground with a competitive edge. And, you know, it's funny because this morning I went to a, called Barry's Boot Camp. I don't know if you've heard of oh. it.
1: Absolutely love Barry's. Killer. So love it. I went
0: to Barry's this morning, just just went there. My brother was on the next treadmill. Didn't know he was going. Oh. He was on the next treadmill. And you know when they give you three speeds to go at during the session? Yes. So so I was going to start
1: meet- at 8, 10 or 12, whatever you come Yeah, yeah. Eight,
0: 8, nine, ten, or something like that. So I'd start at 8 and Gary was at 7. He'd go up to 8. Then I'd go up to 9. <laughs> And then he'd go up to 10. Honestly, we I think I was at my maximum heart rate after about four minutes because we just kept looking side to side at each other's speed on the treadmill. I'm saying, guys, just stay in your lane. Don't copy me. I'm running at my pace. You run at yours. You're not beating me today. You know, it was like, it was just competitive, you know.
1: That is brilliant. Well, hopefully, I was saying, maybe not that intense with these games but we'll see how we go so Jules Breach um, has already played these games and in total she got a score of 26 throughout this podcast so this is the total that you're trying to be okay you're going for 27 but so this first one is worth five points I'm going to play you a clip from a moment in your managerial career okay. as the uh, Lioness's head coach and I want you to see if you can recognize the clip where's it from and then talk a little bit around that moment. But first up, let's see if you can get where is this moment from. Lovely pass by Taylor. And the shot creeps in. What a start for England. And it's Lucy Staniforth with just her second goal for the senior team. Easy. Okay.
0: Well, it was Lucy Staniforth scoring against Japan in the she believes, uh, not last year, the year before when we won it.
1: Yes, that was it. Well, so that's a round of applause. I mean, As you decade, said, it was easy. but
0: Becky, that was easy.
1: <laughs> oh, OK. Well, they'll get harder throughout, don't you worry. But look, I wanted to play that to you, actually, because amazing tournament that yeah. one was for you and the team. What do you remember about it? The,
0: the biggest thing I remember about it was actually uh, that the the... The Japan game, but the game before against USA, we'd we'd beat Brazil in the first game. We then went to play USA and played probably, I thought was probably one of our finest performances. We drew the game 2-2. They scored late on. Uh, But then after the game, we'd got four points and USA had only got uh, two points. So we just needed, we needed a draw in the last game to win and to to lose. So after that, so against USA, we played probably our strongest team. And then after the game against uh, USA in the huddle, uh, we always have a huddle on the pitch, and it was at the time when I rotated everyone I give everybody an opportunity to play, and I wanted to m- expose them to every environment after the game I said right all the all those that didn 't play i 'm going to play against Japan well, normally you get some people being angry because they wanted to play in the last game to win it, but actually the togetherness in that in that uh, huddle was the greatest togetherness I think, and that took us into the World Cup and I never forget I went back to the uh, changing room and I went to the manager's office and I thought, wow, what have I just done? Making nine changes. I- I- I'm a stupid. I was second guessing. <laughs> I'm saying I-, I, was- I must have been emotional and then we went out and we walked out against Japan. Nine changes and everyone was questioning whether I was doing the right thing. We was 3-0 up after 20 minutes and the subs bench was cheering the team on and that that momentum took us into the World Cup. And I've got to say, the spirit and the togetherness of that tournament, the celebrations after the game when we held up the trophy, it, it, the special moments and one where, if I was thinking back at my time as a, as a Lioness manager, that, that she the She Believes tournament has probably been one of my highlights because it's just been a tournament where the team have come really together to perform.
1: And do you feel like that was actually quite a defining moment for you in your career, but also for women's football? Well, the, the the one
0: thing the one thing I said when we came in is that we we had to win things. We had to, you know, we had to go from a semi final team to becoming a winning team, and to to win. People think like winning is easy. Winning is not easy, but actually, to stand on a platform with a trophy in your hand and the red, uh, medal round your neck is a big thing, you know. And you got USA applauding you up onto the plane. You got Brazil and Japan, top five teams in the world, and we were the winners. I actually thought that that was a real pivotal moment. And the reaction we got from back home was incredible. It was almost as if that was the moment that the public began to believe that we could win the World Cup. But more importantly, it was the moment when the team began to believe in what we were doing. You need, you need, a, a, t- you need a big moment. And that was our big moment as a team. A, t- a moment when, yeah, we, 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 we spoke a lot. We produced good performances. But you know what? I think what we're doing here is right and what we believe in is right and what we're doing is right. So so that was a big believing moment for everybody connected to women's football. And, and after that, we, we we then went to play uh, Canada. Uh, we then went to play Spain. And there was just this, we lost against Canada. It didn't seem as if it mattered. Then we beat Spain down at Swindon with a great crowd on. It was a brilliant atmosphere. And all of a sudden, you started to get goosebumps and start to get that feeling I had it at Manchester United a lot. When you would get to March, April and you, and you could smell the hot dogs and you could smell the, <laughs> you know, you could smell that feeling when you're, I'm going to say it squeaky bum time, when you're yeah, getting yeah. butterflies in your belly, when you know something's happening. That's how it felt after that She Believes.
1: Well, it felt like that as well for us, general yeah. members of the public, that was suddenly, I felt, especially that World Cup in 2019 was the first time that... I mean it was almost like there was a men's world cup tournament yeah. pubs i'm talking flags i'm talking at this like people grouping together. people were like in London on the tube talking about the women's yeah. World Cup. This was like a pivotal moment. How aware were you and the team of that when you were out playing the world cup
0: well we, we were aware i mean it was no accident we We'd, we'd put an awful lot of working to getting our players out into the media. We 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 said, look, open up our, our camps, let's get us out there. Our marketing and media department put put all our players on on billboards around the country. Steph Orton, Nikita were on Lucas A balls. So when we got to the World Cup, and it's funny really, because we started against uh Scotland and, and what what I'd planned before every game was good luck messages, good luck good luck messages from people that were supporting us. And I've got to say at the start it was you know, I asked Gareth Southgate to do one for us, people that I probably knew. I asked my sister to do one from the Netball Girls, etc. And then by the time we got to the quarterfinal, when we played Cameroon, people were phoning us with messages. People were sending messages to us, famous people, Stella McCartney, Gordon Ramsay, David Beckham, everybody everybody was like sort of like sending us we didn't have to do any work they were jumping on board with it and then the quarterfinal against Norway sorry this, the yeah, last 16 was going the quarterfinal against Norway uh two days before Bex Bex rings me and said I'm coming to the game I'm coming to the game I said well you know don't worry mate watch it at home no I'm bringing Harper and we're coming to the game I'm, I'm flying in I'll, I'll pop to the hotel and give you and and just have a cup of tea with you I said yeah, well, it's match day. It's the World Cup <laughs> Qu- final. I said, mate, it's, you know. <laughs> he said, oh, don't worry. So I get a text from him. And uh, he said, oh, I'm I'm arriving at 4 o'clock into Deville, which is Le Havre. And, and I said, well, we've got our pre-match meal at uh, half past 4. So come to the hotel, pop in, say hello to the girls, and then get out. He said, perfect. So I hadn't told the girls at all, just in case, you know, air Something traffic Something didn't control. happen, Yeah. We came out of the team meeting at four, went downstairs and, and me and the security lady, Sue, said, oh, David's arrived. I said, right, sneak him in the back way. And uh, and the girls went for the pre-match. And then I took uh, Bex, he brought his mum, Sandra, David and Harper into the room. I said, look, mate, it's a semi final all in the pre-match, just say hello and, and we'll go out. He said, yeah, no no problem. So we went in there. Well, he, the girls idolized him. They loved <laughs> that Harper had came, you know, uh, uh, obviously at uh, a young girl and his mum came, so it was it had a brilliant feel to it from a yeah. female's perspective. So he was having pitch said, "All right, mate, I've just had my pre match. I'll nipping upstairs and get my suit. Uh, I'll see you at the game." He said, "Yeah, no problem." Next minute, I walk out and Ian Wright is in reception, uh, and I said, "All righty, how are you doing?" No, oh, he said, "Never, I'm so excited. How's the girls?" I said, "Do you want to come in and meet them?" So I, I, I brought Ian Wright in, and him and Bex were in there laughing and joking the girls. So I went upstairs, got my suit on. And I thought, oh, Bex has gone now. Came back downstairs thinking the girls will be in the zone. And they're still talking to Ian Wright and David Beckham. And I'm like, oh wow, if this goes like- wrong, I'm in trouble. Well, we went to the game and produced, produced an unbelievable performance. But it was, it was just a sign to us all that actually David and Ian Wright wanted to be there to support us. Just because we were playing well, not because they were friends of anybody or the FA had begged them to come, they wanted to come because actually, they they got onto the the they got onto the bus with us. You know what I mean? So uh, and mm. the girls were so appreciative, and and some of the messages that we received were were fantastic.
1: I love that you were trying to play it down, though, with David Beckham, just being like, "Yeah, just come for five minutes and then move it on." Move yeah, it on. well,
0: it, it, I mean, to me, he's just Beck. You know, the lad <laughs> yeah, that I met course. when I was fourteen. So I said, "Don't yeah. come to the hotel for a cup of tea," and then you realise you realise the effect that someone of his status has on, wow, he's come to watch us and he's brought his young mm. daughter who who wore the Lioness kit and his mum's come as well. And literally, our, our, it, it was the best team talk I'd, I'd ever done without doing anything, you know, that, that mm. this this guy had come and with Ian Wright.
1: With that World Cup as well, you were talking about, so people like Bex and Wrighty are now turning up to watch. Also, with the men's game, I feel like it was the first time that we really saw the men's game really getting on board with the, the Lionesses. How much influence do you feel you had in that and how much do you think you drove that well
0: I think I think it was a collective effort I've got to say I think I think what really helped was that I think society was changing not just the fact that I'd become England women's manager I think the whole of society's attitude towards females women uh, in sport in society was changing I think there was a big power shift uh, and I think I think like my sister said on that 15th of December, times are going to change not not just for football netball or any women's sport times are going to change for society where there's going to be more respect there's going to be more opportunities there's going to be more equality for for females in general so ultimately i think i think what what i did i tried to push the boundaries and i had great support from Sue Campbell and, and everybody but ultimately i think attitudes towards female sportsmen's changed and i think i think that was that was the biggest thing about the World Cup was that people tuned in to watch the best footballers, whether that's male or female, they've tuned in to watch England play football. And that's why you talk about the figures we had for the semifinal, 11.7 million people don't tune in to watch rubbish they tune in to watch the best they tune in to watch the elite they tune in to to cheer for people that are inspirational and that's what makes me proud now is that actually when when I came back from the world cup there there, there was a lot of we've you know we've inspired the next generation Mm. I feel as if the the biggest generation that we inspired was the older cynical generation that grew up where actually Football probably isn't for women. Football isn't for women. Yeah, it couldn't for... be done. Yeah, football, you can't have quality. You can't shoot from distance. Mm. You can't have overhead kicks. You can't defend well. It's almost as if, like, like I went into Costa one day and, and a little old man who was absolutely gorgeous, he said, that World Cup was bloody good. And <sighs> I went, did you enjoy it? He says, do you know what? I've got to hold my hand up. I've never watched women's football because I've never wanted to. But oh, unbelievably, I enjoyed that better than any other football I've seen this season. So it was that generation that we affected probably more than the younger generation. The young girl on on, on the local park probably always dreamt of being a footballer anyway. But the old cynical generation that grew up that actually women shouldn't be playing football, they, they were affected more than anyone.
1: Did that little old man in Costa, did you just make your day by saying that? It
0: it was, it was the, honestly, it was the best moment ever because, you know, I kept saying, because, because we were a little bit, you know, we wanted to win to inspire the next generation, not just to come home and take pats on the back for finishing fourth. And when, when, when they all, when the little old man came up to me outside of Costa and said, your team played bloody well and your team were inspirational. I was like, hmm actually, we probably have made an effect on people's yeah. lives here, which which, which was pleasing.
1: That's fantastic. God love that little man in Costa. I
0: know.
1: Um, <laughs> bless him. Right, so let's move on. Um, It's going to move us on nicely, actually. So, sport, all about yeah. quick thinking, adapting to ever-changing environments, all that type of stuff. And sometimes... You're just plain blagging it. Have you ever blagged it? Like, have you ever? Every day. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Just how we go through life, isn't it? Yeah, we blag our
0: way through life, Becky, you know?
1: We do. So, with that in mind, we are going to do sports related quick fire questions, 45 seconds on the clock. And all you have to do is answer with the incorrect answer. Okay. Okay, so here we go in three, two, one. Name the manager of Manchester United David Moyes. How many teams make up the Premier League? Two. In which city is Wembley? Manchester. Whose nickname are the Toffees? Liverpool. Which sport uses wickets, stumps, bats and boxes? Football. If you win a silver medal, what position have you finished? Third. What sport does Step Horton play? Netball. What does VAR stand for?
0: Victory and result.
1: Oh, which sport is played at Wimbledon? Football the uh, the women's Euro 2021 now delayed till 2022 tournament is being played in which country Belgium in football terminology what do the letters GK stand for on a team sheet good kick oh just squeezed in there I'm impressed
0: I'm sharp yes I'm, I'm a been- bluffer
1: You are, but you managed to nail that. And I think she's going to be fuming. You beat Jules at that. You got 11.
0: Obviously, obviously.
1: (laughs) Um, Look, let's just finish up picking your brains on help and advice for people that would actually like to do a career in sport. Whether, to be fair, I mean, this podcast is predominantly about females in sport, but it can be definitely applied across. Um, Because you've got various aspects. Let's start with, as a player, at grassroots level, yeah what can people do where do they go how do they get going as a player
0: well i i think i think as a young uh, boy or girl and we talk about probably girls because it's a female podcast is that you you've got to you've got to obviously google where your local sports club is google where the local training session is put yourself forward to get into that training session and go down there and commit to playing football and then i always think that Something Sir Alex used to always say to us, if you're only doing what your coaches are telling you to do, you're not doing enough. So then it's the practice up against the wall. It's the practicing your left foot, right foot, basic techniques in the back garden, in the backyard, in the local park with your mum, your dad, you know, and dribble at your dog. There's nothing better than what a dog likes is if you're taking them on 1v1. And these are all practice drills that can be done on their own. So I'd say practice as hard as you possibly can, but obviously try and find some structured practices near you, a local community centre or, or some training sessions that you can go down and start integrating yourself into a team environment.
1: And ultimately you are going to have to take some risk as well, isn't it, in terms of
0: Yeah, do you know, I, I think my biggest learning since coming to the women's side is, is, and I say it to female coaches, is that put yourself out there you know you you might doubt yourself you might lack a little bit of confidence and belief because you think probably other people get the opportunities before you or that other people are better than you but i've seen female coaches produce some brilliant sessions equally as good as male counterparts so what i say to them is, says that is equally as good get yourself out there put yourself forward show confidence and belief in yourself and 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 do it you know don't Mm. don't hold back in any shape or form i think we're in a society now where where I think uh, females have got to get themselves out there, put themselves forward for the best positions, get out there and play football, get out there and and be who you want to be and show some real courage and bravery in your decision-making. So I would say be really courageous in, in everything that you do.
1: And I guess that's an attribute in terms of a coaching or player. What's, well, as a coach, what sort of attributes do you look for when you are building a team around you? What sort of people do you want to work with?
0: Look, p- people talk about skill, skill, and all. And skill, skills at the bottom of the list for me. I, I look for attitude. I look for commitment. I look for the hard work, basic principles that will make you successful. Uh, so, so when I'm picking a team for the biggest games, those are the things that I look for in the characteristics and profile of my team. You know, are they committed? Do they work as hard as they possibly can? Is their attitude unbelievable? And then skill. Skill and ability come at the bottom of that because the first three that I've mentioned there will take you right to wherever you want to go. The, the, the cherry on the top is your skill, is your is your ability, but the ability to practice, work hard and the attitude to do that are the fundamental things that help me be successful as a professional footballer. And I, th- I still think nowadays when when you're building a team and you're giving advice to kids, the kid that has those top three attributes are the ones that I'm going to invest my time in because the the skill bit, the technique bit, that can be developed.
1: Yeah, you can almost teach that, but you can't teach an attitude. Someone's no. either just got it or they haven't, haven't they? You can. Um, is there anything that you would perhaps do differently? Is there any lessons that you've learned that you think, oh, if I could do that, maybe wouldn't have gone about it that way? and then like yeah. that? Or are you fairly I, set with...
0: Well, you know, I, I don't like to look back, mm-hmm. I, whether that's... Uh, that's the mentality I got from Sir Alex. The minute you win something, look forward. So I'd say that I don't like to look back. But I think over probably the last two and a half years, there are that I've learned so much. I've learned so much about uh, myself, but I've learned so much about... Uh, the female athlete. And and yes, at the start, I probably was slightly inexperienced with dealing with female athletes, even though I'd I'd grown up in a house for 25 years with, with an England senior netball player. Probably until you stand in the shoes of a female athlete, female person in this environment, you probably don't realize actually the barriers, the obstacles that have been put in the way. Uh, so I'd say that that is probably the one thing that, uh, I didn't probably fully understand at the start, that at the start, it was probably, oh, let's just get on with it. We'll cope with that. We'll we'll be better at that. But actually, when you go beneath the surface, when you get beneath the weeds and you realise and you hear the backstories of every one of my players about the obstacles and the challenges and the lack of funding and the no pitches, no boots, no equipment. And even some of the stuff that happens nowadays in a world is, is, is there's still lots to do we're nowhere near the level that we need to be at we're nowhere near the level of respect probably that I believe that that should be uh, affronted to us so it's probably now I found myself in the shoes of a female program female organization where where I'm working is that actually probably I was a little bit ignorant beforehand even though like I said to you at the start of the interview I probably didn't really appreciate the obstacles yeah. my sister My sister had. Somebody that was in the next bedroom to me. Who, Your who, sister
1: is, has been amazing, by the way. Like, yeah, I know and, We've and mentioned and her a couple of times, but so we've not spoken about her. She gave possibly one of the greatest sporting moments within netball ever. when they won that go- I, like, I can't even tell you. I was watching that like this, screaming at the telly like probably the rest of the country was. I, How much of an inspiration has she been to you?
0: Incredible. I, I've got to say, that's one of my best moments in my life, that moment. I was boarding a plane at Luton Airport to come back to... Valencia and Mm. literally at five in the morning because it was in Australia I I refused to board the plane until that last shot by Ellen Alsby went in and then literally I think I bawled my eyes out and I'm (sighs) not a crier I I was so it was one of the best moments of my whole life and that moment of that last two minutes of that game it was it was incredible and like I say Mm somebody that's my twin sister that you know she's 12 minutes older than me i didn't realize probably the full extent of the boundaries and uh the 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 obstacles that she's had to overcome so so my probably biggest learning over the last two and a half years is is actually and we're going through it now with with black lives matter is Mm -hmm. that actually until you've lived in the shoes of that black person until you've lived in the shoes of a female that's that's had these obstacles, then it, I, I don't think you should probably think it'll be okay, or let's just get on with it, or let's just wear a t-shirt, or let's just think that somebody will do something about it. Actually, do something about it now. Act and 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 try and make, try and do something yourself to make it better for this generation of people.
1: No, I totally agree. Education isn't it? Education, Education. is key with Education all these is things. Key. Right, we're going to finish up with one final quiz here. This is your last chance to get some points on the board here, Phil. This is the last one. So this one's a little bit simple and it's simply, how well do you know yourself? So these are all (laughs) questions about you. So I'm hoping that you're going to get all these. We'll see how we get on. Uh, We are going to stick. Let's do 45 seconds on the clock again. We'll get through as many as we can. Are you ready? Ready. Here we go. I can see he's fully focused here. And three, two, one, go. What year slash season did you make your first team debut for United?
0: 95,
1: 96. Uh, In your time as a player, how many Premier League appearances did you make in total? Three,
0: five, six. Is that right?
1: (laughs) No, that's wrong. How many Premier League titles have you won? Six. How many England caps have you got yourself? 59. Yes. You took over the England women's job in January 2018. Who was your first match in charge against? France. What was the score? 4-1. As of this morning, when I last looked, how many Instagram followers have you got?
0: 500,000.
1: Oh, I'm impressed that you kind of know that. You made your Everton uh, debut in a Champions League qualifier against Villarreal. Villarreal. Yes, in 2005. Which former United teammate did you day face that day? on land. the? Yes, well done. Time is up. How many did we get through there? I think we got through eight. That was pretty impressive. Let me just add up all the scores. What have we got? 5, 11, 8, oh, 24. That is still pretty good. You come second in our leaderboard right now. Charles Preach just on top with 26. But Phil, that was awesome. Thank you. One final line from you and then I will let you go. Thank you so much. You've been awesome. One final line. I just want you to finish this sentence. You can say as many words as you want, as little as you want, whatever you feel comfortable okay. saying with it. So I'm going to start it and I'm simply going to say women in sport.
0: Women in sport uh, deserve respect, deserve great opportunities and deserve to be at the forefront of everybody's minds. How's that sound?
1: That sounds incredible. Phil, thank thank you you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Thanks for the stories. Great insights. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to Outside the Box with me, Becky Ives. Make sure you subscribe, share far and wide, and please feel free to leave me a review. Let's keep this conversation going, though, on social media. Just use the hashtag Outside the Box pod. Next up, we'll be speaking to TV football director, Grace Viracoon. But in the meantime, feel free to get in touch with any comments or questions, anything I can help you with. You can drop me a shout at Becky underscore Ives underscore on Twitter or at Becky Ives official on Instagram. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time.